Politic Podcast, the show for normal Americans. From this undisclosed bunker, here's your host, Tony Reed. Zelensky's speech received at least a dozen standing ovations. There was also one for this man a 98-year-old Ukrainian-Canadian who fought for Ukrainian independence against the Russians during the Second World War. And welcome back to Flyover Politic Podcast. It is the 26th of September, year of our Lord, 2023. And that is Trudeau and company rooting or applauding for a Nazi. The guy is a Nazi. He fought in the 1st Brigade, which was Nazis. Waffen-SS. There's like 7,000 notes showing he was the 14th Wassen Grenadiers. And uh, they gave him a standing ovation because those are good Nazis. I, I don't know. That's that's pretty fucking crazy. That's all I got to say. It's pretty fucking crazy. But there was literally a note on it. And I'm going to show this is Politico, but um, let's see. Did I even grab that? I don't think I grabbed it, did I? No, I didn't. Son of a bitch. Nazi League veteran receives ovation during Zelensky's Canada visit. It's pretty hilarious that people who call themselves Nazi punchers only punch pro-life grandmas but give standing ovations to actual Nazis. And that's the actual truth. It was all over the internet. Media didn't want to do it. He was waffing you at SS. And you know, those are bad dudes. And once again... You guys write the rules. And the rules are Nazis are bad. Unless it's Ukraine or some shit. To more of this, I want to show how bad we're really getting right now. Um, what the hell is playing? Hold on a second. Here's some UN stuff. platforms are being misused to subvert science and spread disinformation and hate to billions of people. 
This clear and present global threat demands clear and coordinated global action. Our policy brief on information integrity on digital, pl digital platforms puts forward a framework for a concerned international response. So, soundbite one, and sorry about that weird uh, outro. I, something was playing, and it was in my ear. I couldn't make it fucking stop. That is some UN, uh, you know, EU people want to join EU, and there is UN Secretary General saying we need to censor Mafas. Just censor Mafas. Why is it globally all liberals are like that? We're going to get to this second. This is the first thing, though. I had to get it up front because it's super, super funny. Um, this is a New York Post journalist trying to get into a New York restaurant, and he couldn't like that. He can wear his hoodie in the Senate and not a freaking restaurant. True story. They went out and did it. But of course, because they did those things, all right, Politico, and I miss these articles, so I got to snatch them while we're talking. They, of course, are coming to the... I, I, I just don't understand how they come to the defense of this. This is, once again, protocol. That's all you guys talked about with Trump. And protocol and norms. Is John Fetterman's hoodie disrespectful to the Senate? Maybe, but not as much as election denialism. Says, menswear guy, die workwear. I could play the 10 minutes of election denial because that's what everybody tweeted back to them. But you know why? Charlotte Clymer decided uh, that she was going to go even more stupid because she has her Ukrainian flag um, in her bio because that's what they all do. We're going to get to that in a second. I thought political media would care far more about women and girls dying due to lack of access to abortion care than they would over a U.S. senator wearing a hoodie. Serves me right. Nope, it's just these are your rules. You come up with the rules. We follow said rules. And like Calvin Ball, you change the rules. And I think that's what most people are pissed off. And we're doing polls in a second. It's earth-shattering. Um... It is just unbelievable the things you guys will do for Democrats. Here is the Washington Post. Also filed it in the wrong file, so I actually didn't get it. Yeah, that's a huge article. What does next look inside the unfolding recovery of Fetterman's family? Oh, recovery, because he's really... No. No, he's not. He's a piece of fucking shit. That, that's what he is. Sorry. I, I got nothing for you. All right. And then we got a Ukraine thing really quick. Not covering Ukraine today, but this is 60 Minutes. Any liberals that come to the show, it is, this is 60 Minutes. Um, 
discovered the U.S. is financing more than weapons in Ukraine. The government is buying seeds, fertilizers for farmers, paying the salaries of 57,000 first responders, and subsidizing small businesses. American taxpayers are financing more than just weapons. We discovered the U.S. government's buying seeds and fertilizer for Ukrainian farmers and covering the salaries of Ukraine's first responders, all 57,000 of them. That includes the team that trains this rescue dog named Joy to comb through the wreckage of Russian strikes looking for survivors. And the U.S. also funds the divers, who we saw clearing unexploded ammunition from the country's rivers to make them safe again for swimming and fishing. Russia's invasion shrank Ukraine's economy by about a third. We were surprised to find that, to keep it afloat, the U.S. government is subsidizing small businesses. Why? Why? Why are, why are we... Why? We are a fucking bucket of shit. We have this shit starting again. This this is a picture from the border, and we're going to cover the border in a second. But we have reporters once again doing this bullshit kids at the border crap. They staged that photo. Constantina wire is bad. To secure your border is bad, they're saying. Hmm. Interesting. We did get a positive. This is uh, California cannot ban gun owners from having detachable magazines hold more than 10 rounds. Federal judge tossed it back. And here is Adam Kinzinger saying what the real fear is. The real fear is not the crime. The real fear is white Christian nationalism. I am a Christian, ladies and gentlemen. I want to make that clear before I answer this. Um, I think there has been a massive failure in the, in the pulpit I think there has been a massive failure from church leaders. They have tried to convince people that Jesus and America are one and the same. They are not. It is very different. You can be a proud American all you want, but that is not the same as being a proud Christian or a Christian at all. Um, I believe that Jesus taught people to love your neighbor, to help the poor, to be, con- to be compassionate to immigrants. And God, I think he's Christian- so woke. He's so woke. I know, I am so woke. <laughs> And I think Christian nationalism is a massive cancer on the church. I mean, it's election time. This is, this is the shit we do, that Christians are bad. You know, I've been going down a rabbit hole with my wife. Um, she is a YouTube fanatic now. And uh, Matt Oregon, Matt in Oregon, he uh, gave us a couple sites. We found this other one, Police Activity. Warning, this is very, very graphic. So much so, it kind of bothered me watching this because it reminded me of combat, actually. Um, 
This was a normal traffic stop. In South Carolina. And it just happened to be they pulled over a gang member. Once again, graphic, you're going to watch a person die. So if you don't want to watch, fast forward 2 minutes and 31 seconds. You know his name by chance? Oh, I see it right here. You're good. I see. Huh? It's registered to you. I yeah. see that. You just don't have the updated registration. Have you started that process? Yeah. I'm just waiting on it. Oh, it's coming in the mail? Yeah. They don't, they don't, uh, huh? They sent it to the wrong address yeah. at first, and I had to go up there because I was waiting on it, and I waited a month. It can after, be a pain. It can be a pain. Like, why is it coming? Hey, hop out. Hop out. Don't grab. Don't reach I'm not, for anything. I'm not reaching for nothing, man. He's got a gun. Hey, I'm hit. I'm hit. He's down. I'm hit. You know, that guy couldn't get up. He, when he got shot, he fell out because he probably got hit in the spine. But he was such a bad dude, he kept shooting until he got popped in his grape. When I researched the numbers on Leo's, it was pretty shocking. Um, the first thing I got was, three years since George Floyd's murder, police killing of black Americans rage on. Black people made up 26% of all people killed by American police last year. Well, they're 30% of the population. The next one I got, U.S. dead on police shooting and violence. 15% of civilians experience police threat of or use of force get injured. 250,000 estimated civilian injuries are caused by law enforcement. 600 people are killed by law enforcement each year. None of this breaks down anything. They just do 6.1% of all total U.S. population, but 25% of all police shootings because cops are fucking racist. Then you start searching specifically because Google is doing its bullshit for an election. In 2020, the year of the lockdown, it was the highest amount, 73, because 60 of them were killed in the fucking riot. So that's 2020. 2021, 247 deaths. 2023, year to date, 86 cops killed by bad guys. But we're going to finance Ukraine's first responders. Fuck our first responders. 
They're all racist. The fuck is wrong with them? I mean, seriously, what the fuck is wrong with them? Then we go to our border again. That's Eagle Island. They put up a foreign flag because, you know, they're migrating to America. So I'm going to play a string of sound bites here. You're going to see some National Guard doing the right thing. You're going to hear the lying liars lie first, then the island flag, then some National Guard and a couple Fox News, followed by Bill McGuin, how the fuck you say his name, uh, pressuring them about their fucking lies. It is my testimony that the border is secure. We have a secure border in that that is a priority for any nation, including ours and our administration. We have taken unprecedented action over the past year and a half to secure our border. And we have a process in place to manage migrants at the border. We're working to make sure it's safe and orderly and humane. The border is closed. We agree that uh, the border is secure. We're executing a comprehensive strategy to secure our borders. One of our highest priorities is to ensure that we have a secure border. And that is what we are doing. The border is secure. Pass, Texas, where just moments ago, Customs and Border Protection cut a hole through the concertina wire that has been stretched by Texas DPS along the border there to allow migrants to come through. It was initially a group of about 60 to 70 people. It swelled to some 300 very, very quickly. Uh, Some women and children who were sort of in the middle of the river were picked up um, by, I guess it would be Texas DPS because they're running the airboats there up and down the river and uh, taken out of the water and and to safer ground there. But as you can see, as we have watched for the last couple of weeks, the illegal migration across the river into the United States continues uh, with this uh, border crossing in Eagle Pass, seeing thousands of people. And then over the weekend, we set what we believe is a new record of 11,000 people crossing into the United States. I was listening in or watching in on the White House press conference earlier, and we heard my colleague, our colleague, Peter Ducey, asking Corrine Jean-Pierre, what do you guys call 10,000 migrant encounters in a single day here at the southern border? And she essentially cut him off and wouldn't answer and, and moved on to the, uh, another question. But it's an important question because, remember, just three weeks ago in late August, Corrine Jean-Pierre was up there at that White House podium saying that they were, quote, stopping the flow here at our southern border. I mean, I'll let our viewers decide, but does this look like stopping the flow? The images we've been showing the last few days here, Eagle Pass has been completely overrun. Uh, They had 2,500 people crossing one group early Monday morning. You guys saw what happened yesterday out here, that massive single group of about 3,000. The activity has been nonstop all day long out here. Eagle Pass is a small community, population of 30,000. DHS officials acknowledge that there is a surge in the border numbers right now, but they attributed that surge to economic fallout from COVID, 
to climate change and to authoritarian regimes. Guys, in the more than two years I've been doing this, uh, the amount of migrants that have told me climate change is the reason they're coming here would be zero. Zero. Yeah. How have things changed there on the border in the midst of this, quote, historic action? So the biggest thing the White House did, which they thought was going to solve this crisis, was this CBP-1 app and mass paroles into the country. The problem is the migrants aren't happy with the CBP-1 app. They say it takes forever to make an appointment. The app keeps crashing on them. They don't like it. They don't want to use it. So instead, why wait for that when you can just cross the river? So what do you call it here at the White House when 10,000 people illegally cross the border in a single day? So what do you call it? Peter, when GOP puts forth a, a, a wait, no, 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 you can't. I'm answering. Okay, we're gonna move You're on. No, 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 okay. no, 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 no. We're moving on. Great, moving. In the back. No, no, you said you were right, stopping the flow the of the border. No, no. I tried to answer, Peter. Okay. I tried to answer the question. You stopped me. Let's go. There is an enormous amount of concern. Uh, the, the mayor of Eagle Pass tells us at least 5,000 people crossed probably yesterday or in the last two days, maybe a lot more. What? I mean, you've already talked a little bit, but yeah. what resources specific to this surge are being... Uh, well, I just laid out, I just laid out three additional announcements that we did. How many people coming into this country illegally is enough for President Biden then? Say that last one? How many people come, how many people illegally coming into the United States is enough? For President Biden's administration. Well, 5.9 million people have, have been I, encountered no, I know, illegally. I know the numbers, but enough okay. for what? Enough just to stop the flood. As I mentioned, this is a problem that's been around for some time now. But the administration also took credit following the end of Title 42 for the drop in border crossing numbers. Is it now taking responsibility for the rise in numbers? Who's talking to Venezuela? about well, why these people are still coming. Who's talking to Panama about the Darien Gap and who's allowing them to come in? And whatever happened to those State Department mm -hmm. and Spain and Canada centers that were going to be set up along route? So on the last... It's a fucking hot mess. It is a total breach of his oath of office. Now we see we're letting hundreds of Muslim migrants from the Islamic nation of Senegal illegally enter the virtually all men of fighting age. Also alarming, Senegal is the Ebola capital of Africa. We'll just let them walk right in. Doesn't matter. Doesn't matter. None of this matters. You're a, you're, you're, you're a racist. You're a piece of shit. That's what you are. Then we start getting into the big ugly. So I'm going to play some polls. This is the media about polls. And then we're going to start breaking down some 2020-isms that are just coming to light now and how the media is trying to brush away these polls that show that Joe Biden is getting his ass kicked by a guy with 96 felony charges says something about what America thinks about your felony charges.
Well, Stephen, what's so stunning about this number, a lot's happened since June. We're talking two more indictments against former President Trump, so four in total, and the first GOP primary debate, and yet Mr. Trump is just solidifying his lead with GOP voters. And, and Kristen, you know this from talking to Republican critics of Trump from rival campaigns. Everything you just explained, they thought would take him down a peg this summer, and instead he has only moved up here. You can see the number saying the party needs a new leader. That has gone down. So for, for Donald Trump there, nothing but good news. And it Oof. raises this question. If Republicans go forward and nominate Trump again, this is what the rematch in our poll. We have some major new polling okay. in politics this morning. Well, some crazy new polling. Yeah. I mean, they're, they're ten, 10 points apart, the, the two polls that are out. So, well, yeah, let's talk about well, uh, the new polling from NBC News shows that President Joe Biden and former President Donald Trump are deadlocked in a hypothetical 2024 election matchup. According to the latest survey, both Biden and Trump earned 46 percent of support in a potential rematch of the 2020 contest. Then the other new poll, this one from ABC News and The Washington Post, has Trump leading Biden by nine points in a 2024 election matchup. In this survey, the former president leads the current one, 51% to 42% among all adults. The Washington Post noted that this poll is likely an outlier compared to ones taken by other groups, but it is consistent with an ABC News Washington Post poll of the same question from earlier this year. So I'm, I'm looking at these polls, Mika. Let, let's just talk here among ourselves for a second uh, before we bring the guests in. We've talked about this a good bit yeah. through the years about Joe Biden. And I got, uh, I, I got uh, sent, I think it was yesterday evening, uh, uh, um, Mark Halpern's newsletter, uh -huh. where there are different takes on it. I want to read you uh, one take. Okay. And it's pretty, it's pretty consistent from one of, I guess, one of his experts. So, and, and think about this. I can show you one expert after another mocking and ridiculing Joe Biden, the Democrats, for their strategy leading up to the 2022 midterm. The mockery for him talking about democracy and abortion was over the top. Yeah, you know, Martha, these numbers are simply staggering for the sitting president. 44% of people in this poll say they are not as well off as they were at the start of the Biden administration two and a half years ago. Those are the worst numbers that we've seen in our ABC News Washington Post polling. It's a question we've been asking going back to the Reagan administration. And when you, when you dive into the big questions around the economy, we know President Biden has been out there trying to make the case. Unemployment is low. Uh, he's been talking about how inflation has been easing. But people aren't buying it. You covered some of the reasons why. Gas prices, uh, food prices, grocery prices and the like. Right now, on the big picture on the economy, 74% of the country, that's about three quarters of Americans, who say the economy is either not so good or downright poor. And it's not just the state of the nation or the policies that are giving people pause on President Biden. It seems to be the man himself. Yeah, Martha, let's talk about age, because we know for sure that the country certainly is. Uh, President Biden would be 82 years old on Inauguration Day 2025. That's how old he is. He's not getting any younger. And, of course, perceptions around his ability to perform in the job are not getting any better. Right now, three-quarters of Americans, 74 percent, say that he is too old to effectively serve in a second term. Uh, that compares to about 50 percent who say the same around Donald Trump. And it's not just Republicans or independents who are skeptical over Joe Biden. Uh, this is a question we asked. Should Biden be at the top of the ticket? 62 percent of Democrats and Democrat-leaning independents said they think that someone else 
should be the presidential nominee, although uh, the party is deeply split on who that someone else should be. And Martha, maybe the most startling number in our poll is this, the, the hypothetical matchup, a rematch of Donald Trump versus Joe Biden. Our poll with the, with the Washington Post pegging this at 51% to, uh, for, for Donald Trump over Joe Biden. That is a nine-point edge. Now, that's only a couple of points difference from our last poll in May, but it is significantly different than most recent polls. It is an outlier compared to other polls we've seen recently. Our partners at 538 put together an analysis for us. They find an average of recent polls having this more in the one or two point range with Joe Biden typically having the edge. But whether you believe that or not, uh, look, there's a good chance that there's people just trying to send a message in the polling right now, given the other frustration. So they're going to do the same thing. They're going to freak out for a bit, but then they're just going to cover it all up. This is stuff that Rasmussen released on uh, September 22nd. In my 20 years of experience handling ballots, I observed that the markings for candidates on these ballots were remarkably uniform, perhaps even with a ballot marking device. My estimate is observed these ballots approximately 98% constituted votes for Joe Biden. This was in the Grand Hyatt. You then, furthermore, and I don't know if I got the slide or not. No. This was stuff that kind of came out, but it didn't. And this is, once again, the 2020 election. Here you go. There's some more about security features. Around 6.15, ballots will begin to arrive at the hotel. Uh, Let me read the whole thing. There'll be approximately 47 ballots that will go to the Grand Ballroom. And all of this... There's... It was supposed to be Green Bay, but there is no Grand Hyatt. It was Atlanta. It was all coded. This is what they did. So when you see these polls, I mean, do you do you not think they're going to cover them up or they're going to do something? Want to hear something funny? For years, Philip Bumpers trashed Rasmussen poll for showing non-white support for Trump higher than other polls. Today, his own paper has Trump leading Biden among Hispanics 50 to 44. And 43% of all voters. We now have mainstream media pundits who work and teach in political academia telling people to ignore polls they say are outliers because the Trump leads by more than they like. Never said a word when the same poll published Clinton 12, Biden 12, Biden 17. And then you get in the Rasmussen. How the left hijacked weaponized fact-check injuries from Monday show that 44% of likely U.S. voters approve of President Biden's job. 54% disapprove. 25 strongly approve. And those are your far lefties. You then get into the daily tracking. And for two consecutive days, 24th and 25th, 54% of voters disapprove of Joe Biden. Washington Post, well, they called it an outlier. 
Literally, this this is their this is their guy putting it out. Outliers are outliers, but generally, it's never good for an incumbent president when closely allied news organizations has to run their own poll of his prospects with an analysis underneath of, uh, is this real? We're all doomed. This is what they put down, my friends. Post ABC poll, Biden faces criticism on economic economy, immigration, and age. A finding that shows Trump leading Biden by a wide margin does not match other recent polling, however, suggests it's an outlier. That's their poll. They're saying their poll is an outlier. The one they just ran. Within the poll, uh, struggling to gain approval of a skeptical public with dissatisfaction growing over with his handling economy and immigration, a rising share saying the United States is doing too much to aid Ukraine in its war with Russia. Wait till the 60 Minutes breaks this weekend. Biden and former President Trump appear headed for a rematch, although more than three in five Democrats and Democrat-leading independents said they would prefer a nominee other than the president. But Biden's advisors have argued that he is the strongest Democrat for 2024, and those who wish for someone else share no consensus on who should be, with 8% naming Vice President Harris, 8 for Vermont. And I'm not even going, the poll is buried. They buried it in their own fucking article. Just buried that shit. This poll is absurd. Trump has 91 felonies. It's a liberal. President Biden, this is Team Trump, holds a 10-point lead over crooked Biden. Yeah. Washington Post dumps on headline news from its own poll. New survey finds Trump leads Biden by nine points among adults. Post says it's probably an outlier. But pollsters say results not a statistically significant difference from Washington poll in Feb and May. And they show was... That's where he's running. He's not doing well, my friends. Before we hit more, here he is, and I was going to do a soapbox. Uh, I have a soapbox in there because then he fucks up J uh, LL Cool J's name and calls him boy. again and you may have noticed a lot of people are focused on my age well I get it believe me I know better than anyone but there's something else I know when I came to office this nation was flat on its back I knew what to do I vaccinated the nation and rebuilt the economy
Joe Biden gave a speech at the Congressional Black Caucus Foundation's annual legislative conference on Saturday. The reason I repeated where he was at twice is because the audience is very important in this situation. You're talking to black people. Okay, not to mention all this stuff is written for the president. So his writers are going to share some of this hee-haw too. Okay, now President Biden was honoring recipients of this year's awards that recognize individuals who have made significant contributions to society. One of the recipients was the great James Todd Smith, LL Cool J. Dropping the clues bombs for LL Cool J. And while giving his speech about LL, this happened. And two of the great artists of our time representing the groundbreaking legacy of hip-hop in America, LLJ Cool J. Uh, by the way, that boy's got, that man's got biceps bigger than my thighs. I think he's been. LLJ Cool J. Uh, <laughs> we'll get back to that in a second. A lot of people are upset that Joe Biden referred to LL Cool J as a boy. Uh, as you can hear, he corrected himself on the spot. You know why Joe Biden corrected himself? Because he's 137 years old. He fully understands the word boy in the racial context around a white man referring to a black man as boy. See, boy is absolutely a white racist word when used. That's who they're defending. That's that's their thing, man. I, I how? What? What the fuck? Then you get into surveys. Majority believe they're worried about the election. Uh, 56% of likely U.S. voters believe it's likely that cheating will take effect to the outcome. Of course. They know you did it. 81 million? Federal workers. Latest Rasmussen National Telephone Online Survey finds that 47% of American adults think the average government worker earns, earns more than the average citizen because they want to give them all raises. Censorship. Is censorship a problem? Most citizens accept some of the caveats, but by an overwhelming majority, Americans generally still cherish the right for expression, at least in theory. A new poll on censorship by Real Clear Opinion researchers shows that 90% of voters in the United States express support for the founders' curb on government power. Nine in ten think the First Amendment protection for freedom of speech is a good thing. Only 9% Democrats think it shouldn't. Then you get into the numbers. 47% of them say free speech should be legal only under certain circumstances. This was a RCOR new poll. 34 say Americans have too much freedom. I just said that. Too much freedom. 75% of them say government has responsibility to censor hateful social media posts. That they decide, of course. 31 strongly agree with the statement, I disapprove of what you say, but I will defend the death you're right to say it. Only 31%. Replies. And these people will be our future judges, Congress, and leaders. Because they've been brainwashed by Obama and company. Democrats. All Democrats. And where they are goes in line with the video and why I played it. 67% increase in robberies, 29 in homicides, 112 in carjacking. That's our nation's capital. That's 
the free world. I mean, what the fuck, Chuck? What are we doing? Why? I guess my thing is I really, really pray that some Americans wake the fuck up. My God, you are... I I just can't. So before we go on, um, I wanted to play some uh, lighter fare with the Ducks. So I'm going to play a segment of their incredible game this weekend where they beat the living fuck out of Colorado, which was fucking awesome. Starting with the coach's speech. And before that, what Colorado did. And then we'll talk. Hmm. Rooted in substance, not flash. Rooted in substance. Today, we talk with our pads. You talk with your helmet, right? Every moment. The Cinderella story is over, man, right? They're fighting for clicks, we're fighting for wins. There's a difference, right? There's a difference, right? This game ain't gonna be played in Hollywood, it's gonna be played on the grass, right? It's gonna be played on the grass. Let's go. What a great scene it's going to be here at Autzen Stadium. Look at this matchup. Oregon, Colorado. The thrill of two top 20 teams coming together. Colorado, they've, I think, silenced some doubters so far. We know that. We've heard the national narrative. It's like a movie, isn't it? You know, it all yeah. feels that way. You know, sometimes, like in movies, the stars align. Make no mistake about it, this is a Cinderella story, right? And some people think the Cinderella story Right, always goes a certain way. This game is not about a Cinderella story, it's about ending one. Right, we always know it's Oregon versus Oregon. Right, that hasn't changed. I'm not about outside noise. Rooted in substance, man. They're rooted in substance. Ready, no nonsense, substance. And that's what Oregon is right now. They're made of the right things, and I think it's a mark of the new era at Oregon. And God said, let there be Colorado at Oregon. This is a major stage because of Colorado. Every station, a TV station is talking about Colorado. 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 Colorado We're talking about Colorado. 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 The most the amazing story, story of, of the year in sports they history. It it's not about it's personal anymore. It's about they're coming to kick our ass. Rooted in substance. Today, we talk with our past. When they talk, you don't say shit. You don't say shit. You talk with me. You talk with your Everybody's tired of hearing about the question. And that's going to show up on the football. The Cinderella story is over, man. It's pretty good. Does that all mean something to you? Does that all mean something to you? Yeah, I sure as hell mean something to me. Hey, I like to report a crime to the murder to these ducks. Different culture. Power of unit. Different brotherhood. I ain't ever seen a redwood stand alone. A redwood strengths in its what? Roots. Right? And not in the individual roots. It's because they're what? 
They're connected, right? Connected. Connection. In this room. Connection. 60 minutes or as long as it takes. Let's go. There's the Harley. If come your ducks. This is the real deal. This is what we've been waiting for. I've already had goosebumps. And this ball game is underway. <laughs> Knicks quickly to the outside to Franklin, and this Ducks offense is in rhythm. Touchdown, Oregon! No Whittington. Oregon's initial touch with the ball, they go all the way. That's a very impressive opening drive by the Ducks. Irving stacked up, trying to break free, kept his balance somehow, and fights his way to the five-yard line. How does he do that? That's amazing. Bo's going to keep it, trying to go up the middle. Now throws the pass, and he got it! Casey Kelly! Ducks had a very strong start. First punt for Ross Jane. And they are going to fake it. Won't you look at this? Casey Rogers, my man! Dan Landing says, hey, we got some big time juice in us. Yeah, I think it sends a very clear message to your team that you've got confidence in that. And that's the throw. Then we'll fade route to Franklin. He's got it! Just methodical, right? High level of execution right now for the Ducks offense. And Bo Nix, who has been red hot, caps that drive. Empty set for Shador. It's the transfer from the SEC doing damage out west, Jordan Birch. He did not get away. He is set by Brandon Norris. Shador backing up again. Taken down again. Another sack for this Oregon defense. It's been a dominating first half for Oregon in almost all phases. Slide open, Franklin, who will just Sunday stroll it into the end zone. Nix is on fire. Yeah! He can't miss. Yeah! This offense, when it's in rhythm, with a Heisman contending quarterback in bonus, is dangerous. And you want to continue to step on the gas like we know Oregon loves to do. Bo Nix! Give me six. He can do it with the arm and then showcase the smarts with the legs. That Heisman campaign. So as you see with that video, um, they decide to walk out on the field and go right in to the O. And Coach Prime did too. And anybody knows... Um, about sports, that, that's the major diss. You, you just, you don't do that. But all week, all we heard was over and over, over and over and over and over and over that Colorado is great. And even though the Ducks were a 21-point favorite, um, I thought what he said was spot on. You know, we're fighting. They're fighting for clicks. We're going for dubs. And as everything in our world is, it got turned into a racial. It was coded language. I heard it all over Twitter. Coded language. Hmm. Coded for what? But anyway, I wanted to get that in and get kind of a break before we go into our next round of fucking craziness. So, this week, I have seen this, uh, or probably, when was it printed? The 22nd. So I, that was about right. That was uh, fucking Friday. All weekend I saw, you're going to lose to Trump. We are begging you to step down. 
over and over and over. He just kept putting this out. There's almost no chance he's going to win. I never heard an incumbent polling under 40 points who went on to win a re-election. When it comes to Joe Biden, three in six recent polls had him in the 30s. In one recent poll, President Biden was an abysmal 32%. Sorry, but that's unrecoverable. You're just telling yourself sweet little lies if you think he can win these numbers. President Biden needs to step down immediately and give someone else a chance to do what they certainly will be able to accomplish. Trounce Trump in 2024. Replies, oh, do piss off, please. Nobody of consequence is begging him to step down. He deserves a second term, and he will get the second term and stronger support in Congress. The odds are good that he will complete the term, but if he does fall, Harris will be a consummate leader. Biden's base is killing him right now. Mr. Biden stepped down. Biden's being thrown on the bus. Then they hit reverse and run him over again. Another Democrat throwing Biden under the bus. Blah, blah, blah. Well, I replied with what I always fucking reply with. It's, it's pretty fucking simple. It's just pretty fucking simple. Google, Instagram, YouTube, Facebook, FBI, DOJ, they'll elect him as they did in 2020, published by Time Egg, with Facebook pumping 500 mil into, in, into and running polling stations and battlegrounds. In 2024, Biden will get 100 million. That's why it's just so funny. These polls don't mean anything when you're not really letting people elect the president anymore. Do you not think there's going to be mail-in for some reason? Do you not think they're going to be doing what we just saw at the Hyatt Regency? Special ballots, more suitcases. This one got a lot of laughs. The Democrats, happy fall. Yeah, happy fall, because that's what he actually does. And to show you how fucking batshit horrible we are, here's fucking Hillary again. And, you know, I've never seen an ex-president in the mood in the news. And you can't say Trump because Trump's not in the news like being able to say shit. You're doing articles about how much of a horrible garbage human it is. It's like my uh, one of my podcasts for NASCAR, the teardown. It's the Atlantic. They're super fucking libs. And they got pissed off about the Bubba bubble stuff. Now listen, there there are racist fuckers out there for Bubba. I'm not saying there's not racist fuckers. But every time you criticize Bubba Wallace, ABC, NBC, CBS, PBS, CNN, MSDNC, New York Times, WAPO, The Atlantic, HuffPo, they all do articles, it's racism, it's racism, it's racism, it's racism. So they were on the podcast, it's the first time they went to politics and they started talking about how um, freaking somebody on Fox News did something and Bubba was bad and he does it without even doing the uh, good journalism and it's the first time I've ever tweeted to this guy and said well I guess I said it was a great podcast once because it is why'd you go political everything in our world now is criticism of non-progs it's from sports to fucking everything there's nothing that the left hasn't fucked up I mean just be honest They've got their dick skinners into everything. It's even racist to not root for the one black driver. Anyway, 
I went on a tangent. Let's get back. Hillary Clinton to Jen, tells Jen Psaki that Trump engages what psychologists call projection. Oh, really? Vladimir Putin uh, has obviously your friend, your friend and mine. Uh, he has uh, intervened in our election in the past. Right. It's not something, as you experienced firsthand, it's not something we talk about a lot. Do you fear that that is something that could be happening for 2024? And do you think we should be talking about it more? Well, I think we should be talking about it more because I don't think, despite all of the uh, you know, deniers, uh, there's any doubt that he interfered in our election or that he has interfered in many ways in uh, the uh, internal affairs of other countries, funding political parties, funding, you know, political candidates, uh, buying off, uh, you know, government officials. Replies to this tomfoolery and why is she even being interviewed? You mean projecting Russian collusion while you're doing it yourself the whole time? Talk about lack of self-awareness. Guess who else engages what psychologists call projection? Hillary Rodden Clinton, who's still saying that the uh, election got taken by the Russians. Hmm. Interesting. It's very interesting. Because while we're doing all this and... The media is going into overdrive. Um, we just fucking had somebody get indicted for high crimes or misdemeanor. For 30 years, I have withdrawn thousands of dollars in cash from my personal savings account, which I have kept for emergencies and because of the history of my family facing confiscation in Cuba. Um, I, he's not initiating any of those exchanges. No, he's, he's, he's clapping back at stuff that people are saying. And everybody to him. loves a good clapback. Well, <laughs> that part is true, true. too. But it's and, and I don't like it when Ted Cruz does it. I don't like it. I don't like the what I feel is the erosion of decorum in the Senate, which I think is incredibly important. I didn't like it when Kristen Cinema showed up with all of those colored wigs looking like Senator My Little Pony. I, you know, I thought she looked like a, like Schneider from One Day at a Time when she showed up. Do we have the picture of her in that jean vest? So I thought that was ridiculous. I think this is ridiculous. Listen, I don't want... I don't want to show up at a, at a funeral home and have the funeral director in a hoodie and shorts. I don't want to show up to my plane today and have my pilot you in know a hoodie and shorts. You know, it so happens. Uh, that being said, yeah. if they're going to agree on something, I sure as hell wish they'd yeah. agree on not shutting the government and passing the, all the people that need to be confirmed. Can in front I say something about Fetterman? You know, uh, Fetterman is known for being sort of this hokey Philly, Phil, not Philadelphia, but Pennsylvania kind of down-home guy. His constituents love him. Right. He works really, really hard for him, for them. He had a stroke. He has made his way back. He's a brilliant person. He went to the Harvard School, uh, the Kennedy Government, what Kennedy that? School of Government at Harvard. Yep, and the media's not really gonna cover this. I mean, did you think they would? There's none for ProPublica. This is what PBS did. The original was he is indicted. That's actually the web address, but they changed it because they had uh, liberals yell at him. So 
you know, they altered it. They also see that Senator Bob Menos requested that VP Biden host the U.S. Bank Council, which is part of all this Egyptian shit that he got caught. He's now saying it's because he's Latino. This is what WAPO's doing. And everybody else. This just, it's what we see every time. There's got to be a secret webpage. Somebody important needs to find it because they all just ran it out. Okay, well, Menendez does it, but everybody else does. This came out this weekend. I don't know why it's an article. Because, oh, I do. Because last week they put out that, um, by the way, uh, they lost track of how many federal agents were storming the fucking Capitol. Here's another good one. Tax note, wildly read on Capitol Hill, reported before the 2020 election, a major $5.3 million discrepancy between what Biden was reporting on his 2017-18 tax returns versus what he was reporting on his government financial disclosure. Isn't that interesting? Because it was 5.3? I don't know. Hmm. Maybe it's me. Used for political speech. FOIA shows Biden DHS censoring Americans was absolutely political. The DHS claimed a range of authority over MDM space, including targeting views on racial justice and the disastrous draw from Afghanistan. Those subjects stretch across much of the space used for political speech in the last few years. I will tell you right now, I responded to Chunk Unger three times. There's only one I could find. So they're already at it. It's, it's election time. And if I'm full of shit, you wouldn't delete it. You might community note. But they deleted it. It's gone. I can't find them. Which is everything. Just everything. So in a week that we have mass immigrants coming across it's out of control Biden polls in the cellar Menendez a major Democrat is indicted and a lot of Democrats asking him to go our media jerk off is uh, Fox News Fox News uh, backlash about the dress code MSNBC Trump alleged jail worries show overwhelming conscience of guilt and then PBS that we pay for it uh, GOP's nihilistic performance over the $33 trillion in debt. But it's really not real, they say. That's, that's not true. But of these, my favorite and, and what we will start with is CNN and their takedown of how bad uh, Fox is. Because Fox is bad. Okay. I am a Republican, the media jerk off of the week. So hot. Rupert Murdoch is stepping down as CEO of Fox News tonight. His legacy is outrage porn. I just want to start this hour by sharing with you the sounds of the wails of children. 
No llores. Is the President of the United States a racist? Is he suffering from some kind of illness? Is he fit for office? And if he's unfit, then what? You say the president is using mind control. I grew up in a household where my best friend's mom couldn't play with a kid across the street because they were kikes. George Soros is a rich Jew. And so when they talk about Soros, they're talking about a rich Jew who's in control of everything. The Chinese people 110 years ago were slant eyes. Calling it the Chinese virus or the Wuhan virus. It could have come from anywhere. All right, do better. Instead of the Delta variant, why not call it the DeSantis variant? Perhaps it's time to start naming these new variants that may be coming out after them. The biggest terror threat in this country is white men, and we have to start doing something about them. There is no white guy ban. So what do we do about that? The wall has always been a con for Donald Trump's credulous rube ten-tooth base, the credulous boomer rube demo that backs Donald Trump. You elitist with your geography and your maps and your spelling, <laughs> even though my your math and your reading. He says, if I'm elected mm -hmm. president, I will push for a constitutional amendment to impose term limits on all members of Congress. Correct me, there already are term limits, so what does he mean? Do citizens in dictatorships recognize what's happening right here, right now. People concerned about our institutions, concerned about our democracy rotting from the inside. This is the collapse of a democratic republic. The president of the United States looking like a wannabe dictator. Inevitably, history is going to take a big shit on his head. Our democracy is in danger, and it's because of one party, and that's the Republican Party. Dana Milbank, here's his column for The Post this weekend. He says journalists are contributing to the murder of democracy. The GOP is not a party anymore in the traditional sense. It's a cult. The U.S. president possibly working for the Russians, possibly an unwitting pawn. Reasonable to ask if he could be working on behalf of Russian interests and not the U.S.'s? Well, it's a reasonable question. Andrew McCabe, listen to what he said when asked whether he thinks President Trump could be a Russian asset. It's possible. It's possible? That is a remarkable statement. The FBI, the CIA, the NSA, the former director of national intelligence, James Clapper, I mean, they've all said this. So to believe yeah. that that's wrong, you rather unlock the value. And in that case, the legacy that endures is sort of the success and the fun at times of his right-wing populism, but also the punitive and pugilistic nature of it that has been ultimately quite corrosive, uh, not only to our sense of what fair play is in journalism in this country and in some of the others, like the UK and Australia, in which he was so dominant, but even throughout our body politic, where the this asymmetrical influence he had over the Republican Party and the degree of, uh, in a sense, business and political power he obtained as a result uh, has left him serving an audience that wanted raw and raw red meat uh, that ultimately led him to chasing his audience rather than guiding them uh, to a place that involved the facts. And I think it undermined the sense of a young man who started out as a, as a newspaper man with a keen sense for a story and for fun and for uh, uh, an inconvenient fact to a guy who's chasing audience views by, by serving what they call the brand of Fox News rather than the news provided by Fox News. So my talk of the table is about yet another showdown brewing in Congress, one that has taken dramatic twists and turns all week in the Senate. So here's what happened. Just yesterday, a top Democrat broke with the party's leadership to align himself with the other side, and this debate is over 
the Senate dress code. <laughs> On Monday, Senate Majority Leader Chuck Schumer told the, the sergeant at arms he will no longer have to enforce the dress code. That was a suit and tie for men and a dress or suit for women. Some have said it was to accommodate Pennsylvania Senator John Fetterman, who has had to vote from the doorway because of his casual attire. Of course, he's known for wearing hoodies. Even Schumer's number two, Dick Durbin, opposes the change, and The Hill reports another Democrat, Joe Manchin, plans to introduce a resolution to restore the dress code, and he's got that rare accessory on Capitol Hill, mm. bipartisan support. Mm. So, obviously, this is happening against the backdrop of the government being on the brink of a shutdown, yes. and they have much more important things to do than talk about this, but it is capturing people's attention, including my own. What do you guys think? Look, I, I am one of those who believes that uh, we have come too far from the standard that we... Uh, Glenn, I got to get you on, on something else. I'm going to switch gears a little bit. I, get a load of this from Rolling Stone, which reports, quote, <clears throat> while Trump publicly professes confidence, privately, three sources familiar with his comments say he's been asking lawyers and other people close to him what a prison sentence would look like for a former American president. Would he be sent to a club fed style prison, a place that's relatively comfortable as far as these things go, or a bad prison? And obviously this is in relation to um, the federal cases against him. What does this tell you about Trump's mindset? Tells me he's scared to death. It tells me he has overwhelming consciousness of guilt because he knows he did wrong and he knows he is about to be held accountable for his crime. So, you know, it, it's not surprising that he is obsessing. If he was confident that he would be completely exonerated, would he have to obsess about what his future time in prison might look like? And I do think the last refuge for Donald Trump um, can be seen in a recent post where he urged the Republicans to defund essentially the prosecutions against him, which to this old prosecutor, Jonathan, smells a lot like an attempt. Uh, quite close. Well, in, in time terms, it's a, you know, not, like basically a week. Uh, in probability terms, there's a very high probability the government will shut down and we'll be where we've been before. Uh, and the core cause is that there are a group of Members of Congress who are not interested in practical governance, they're too big on the far right of the Republican Party, but they have no strategy to get there. And so they're basically a bunch of nihilistic performance artists. And uh, That looks great on a business card. <laughs> yeah, that was, that was my nickname in high school. So I, uh, <laughs> uh, and so uh, Speaker McCarthy has to decide what to do. And the core simple truth should be, well, we don't allow performance artists to have power. And he's giving them a lot of power because he's refusing to or is unable or unwilling to cut a deal with the Democrats and sort of freeze out the people on the right. And in my view, he should take them on right now because his power will wane and that his fear is he'll lose his job as speaker. But he, I think his, if he wants to keep that speaker job, he'll be weaker in two weeks. He'll be weaker in three weeks when everyone's upset about a government shutdown than he is right now. And so, uh, in my view, he should take them on right now and try to cut some sort of deal uh, or stick to the deal he, he cut with Joe Biden, actually. I mean, David is describing the idea that, that McCarthy still has some agency in all of this, but it seems like in the last few weeks and days, 
it, it seems like he's utterly lost control of his own caucus. I mean, that's assuming he had any control to begin with. Let's not forget, and it's now a mantra, it took 15 ballots for him to get the speaker's gavel to begin with. But I agree with David. The speaker needs to exert some control. He has a five-seat five seat majority. Get it. Totally understand it. Said uh, uh, Speaker Pelosi also had a similar majority, and she got a lot done. And why? Because she exercised the power of the office. Speaker McCarthy absolutely should tell this rump faction within his majority to go stuff it. I have governing to do. We have governing to do. We can't allow the government to shut down. Turn it up. Turn it on. Whether Joe Biden believes this madness or is simply too weak to resist it, his administration has been completely hijacked by the radical left. The dividing line in America is no longer between right or left. The choice is between normal or crazy. And the world's climate policy is a major focus this week at the UN Climate Summit as activists insist more has to be done to address the damage done to our planet. ABC's Mary Alice Parks has more. In Washington, climate change activists arrested in front of the White House. In Boston, interrupting rush hour traffic. And thousands demonstrating in New York City this week, hoping to put pressure on world leaders gathered at the United Nations. As global temperatures soar and extreme weather wreaks havoc across the globe, the UN Secretary General is also turning up the heat. Climate chaos is breaking new records, but we cannot afford the same old broken record of scapegoating and waiting for others to move first. But noticeably absent from the UN Climate Summit this week, President Biden, the White House sending special envoy John Kerry instead. We have a moral responsibility and an obligation to help lead, and he's not even going to the summit. It's embarrassing. The White House did this week announce the creation of a new Climate Corps, an AmeriCorps-style program providing job opportunities for 20,000 Americans in conservation and clean energy. Still, those demonstrators, part of Democrats' activist base, telling us that for them, it's not nearly enough from this president. He's not using his power as the president to declare a national climate emergency. He broke his promise to end drilling for uh, fossil fuels on federal lands. And we're going to keep coming back and making the sacrifice and protesting peacefully to say, you have to do it now. Now, those demonstrators I talked to told me that they are just frustrated with President Biden heading into this campaign. It is clear that he's going to have to talk to them, and he is really feeling this pressure. They want serious, fast action to cut fossil fuels. But this is such an interesting and stark contrast with the other party, because, guys, of course, Republicans, they are running on a message to simply undo. It's time to make up my own mind and decide if I think it's time to break the law. What are we going to do about it? An overwhelming number of people recognize that we are in danger. They fear for their, fear for their own lives, lives. Of their children, frightened for the future of life on Earth. No government, no major political party has ever significantly addressed the issue. They haven't been listening to us, the climate activists. Now, I'm not asking for anyone to break the law. There are so many lawful ways to get involved. Raise your voice. 
poster poster, sign a petition, paint a banner, go on a march, lobby your local MP. However, for me, myself, when significant and obvious danger. So, but I've got to raise my voice. If you're an activist that's already made a decision that, yes, you're going to break the law, so long as no one is hurt and there's no lasting environmental damage, then you'll have my support. And personally, I think I've reached a point where I now consider it the ethically responsible thing to do. So I forgot to say that we're going into lighter fare. That was ABC Climate Zealots demand Biden move even further left. And this guy is some major dude in the community, Chris Peckham. Um... Wildlife TV presenter says it may be time to break the law for climate. Personally, I've reached a point where I believe breaking the law for climate is ethically responsible things to do. Personally, I now reach the limit and point where I believe locking up the climate Nazis in cages is ethically responsible too, is all the responses because it's just... What the fuck? Here's some facts that get in the way. Another fun climate scam page from Washington Post. They hid all the inconvenient temperature data from the 1980s, which wrecked their story. Uh, there is climate change. But this shit, extreme weather. I'm worried that it's going to be what it was when I was a child, which was global cooling, warming, change, crisis, climate. That's, I mean, that's where we're at now. It's literally cooler here than it's ever been so i'm concerned about that i really am because we never gotten a hundred once folks not once in tennessee that, that never fucking happens dude we always get in a hundred not once all summer no hundreds but this is big business for them. Look at this shit. And remember, this comes from the lady that is doing stocks and shit illegally. They see where the electric companies moderate how much you use and tell you when they'll turn on your chargers. It's only a certain time. It's got to be at night. Even though for some it takes from 5 to 5 a.m., 12 hours to fucking charge. Fuck you. Fuck you in your life. Walk, bitch. Here is the pen and selfie guy who wants kids to still be angry over climate. Stay angry. That's the message of former U.S. President Barack Obama to youth leaders as he hit rich nations at the COP26 summit in Glasgow for their lack of urgency in curbing emissions. Obama said the youth have the right to be frustrated because people in his generation have not done enough to combat climate change. Nations have failed to be as ambitious as they need to be. The escalation, the ratcheting up of ambition that we anticipated in Paris six years ago 
has not been uniformly realized. I have to confess, it was particularly discouraging to see the leaders of two of the world's largest emitters, China and Russia, decline to... That's violent rhetoric, isn't it? That's violent. I want to stay. I want you to stay angry. I want you to stay frustrated and channel that anger. Obama wanting people angry is so out of character for him. Remember, he told people to go out in their fucking slippers and house coats and burn shit down because the Republicans were going to put us in a ditch. He wasn't impeached. It's very interesting. Then, basically, Kerry says that Bidenomics is a godsend for rural Americans because of the climate shit. Agriculture contributes about 33% of all the emissions of the world, uh, depending a little bit on how you count it, but it's anywhere from 26 to 33. And we can't get to net zero. We don't get this job done unless agriculture is front and center as part of the solution. But with a growing population on the planet, we just crossed the threshold of 8 billion fellow citizens around the world. We just crossed that in this last year. Emissions from the food system alone are projected to cause another half a degree of warming by mid-century on the current course that we are today. A two-degree future could result in an additional 600 million people not getting enough to eat. And you just can't continue to both warm the planet while also expecting to feed it. Doesn't work. So we have to reduce emissions from the food system to keep the 1.5 degrees alive. Why do we have to keep 1.5 degrees alive? Because scientists, as a basis of physics and mathematics, not ideology and politics or party labels or anything else. As a matter of physics and mathematics and some biology and chemistry have told us, these are the consequences. And we already see it happening. And almost everything they've predicted for 30 plus years now is coming true. I swear to God, these people are the fucking dumbest people in life. Bionomics a godsend for rural Americans. The Hill ran with that combination of executive and congressional actions as Biden took office from the American Rescue Plan to the Bipartisan Infrastructure Law to the CHIPS Act, Inflation Reduction Act, which is actually a green energy thing, key executive action promoting competition and protecting workers present greater potential for revitalizing rural communities. I don't know, man. Have you asked rural Americans what they actually think about gas and diesel prices? I don't know. Maybe that would be an idea, but... We're not going to do that. Here's another one of these librarians that uh, believe that they're the fascists in charge of everything. Two weeks after saying libraries should be sites of socialist organizing, Allo Library President Emily Durbanski says librarians can't be politically neutral. She induced a Marxist and discussed the harassment she's received for being quoted accurately. I spent the last three days uncovering the largest socialist conference in the country. That's where I caught... American Library Association President Emily Drabonsky, and it sounded a little something like this. Uh, we're really excited to have Emily Drabinsky as our keynote. Welcome, Emily, who is probably doing the uh, she didn't start the fire. 
<laughs> dance all year this year. Hi, <laughs> Emily. Everyone's favorite Marxist lesbian. Because why the heck not? Um, so welcome. I'm going to keep this going because we have four more minutes that I have to talk. Um, I'll introduce myself first. So those of you who don't know me, my name is Emily Drabinsky, and I'm the current president of the American Library Association. I also want to say thank you to the conference organizers uh, for your work in ensuring that this is a safe event. It's been very shocking to me and probably shocking to a lot of you to see the way library workers, uh, some of the most trusted members of our communities have uh, been vilified and attacked for the work that we do on behalf of the public. Like many library workers in this city and around the country, I have been subject to intense harassment for what I believe and who I am. And this harassment is unacceptable. It's unacceptable when it happens to me and it's unacceptable when it happens to you. Uh, Tim asks, David Lankes, among other people, is encouraging discussion or rethinking around neutrality as the value of librarianship and promoting intellectual honesty. Do you think mm -hmm. there is a place in the values of librarianship for neutrality in light of the current challenges facing the profession? When you're highly politicized, neutrality becomes very difficult. Um, I think, you know, it's a topic I've thought a lot about. And, you know, I'm a, I, I'm, I'm a materialist. I believe in the real world that if I buy this book, I can't buy that book, right? That like budgets are limited, shelf space is limited work is limited. Um, and so it's hard to sort of make an argument for neutrality when, you know, just at the, at the level where we got to make a decision about things. So this cover will be followed by the cover in the green, um, followed by the cover here. Hi, I'm Emily, uh, and I'm a librarian. I just wanted to thank you so much. I just want to say thank you for bringing up libraries and classroom libraries, but also school libraries of all kinds, public libraries and higher education libraries who have been under attack in similar ways. Uh, but I think your point that public education needs to be a site of socialist organizing, I think libraries really do too. And I haven't, I haven't seen that for the person of working in libraries, but I think there's a real opportunity here to both connect what's happening in public education, what's happening in libraries, but also we need some help in the, in the library. We need to be on the agenda of social organizing. So uh, I just want to get up to say that. So yeah. yeah, no, no. People like that are pieces of fucking shit. NBC is a joke. She's a self-described Marxist. NBC came running to defend the communists put in charge of our libraries. Of course they did. Because then they ran this. Pregnant people should get an RSV vaccine at 32 to 36 weeks gestation in order to protect their newborns from RSV. According to CDC and women. You mean women? No. They didn't. They, they didn't mean women. Trans women, sex offenders, and Canadian women's prison stats are actually shocking to lefties. Here's just a few of them. 44% of trans-identified males in Canadian prisons are sex offenders. Over half of those sex crimes are against children, and 41% killed the kids. And no, they are not female-to-male convicts. Some of these men raped and killed babies and now get to stay in mother's baby units and get free breast implants paid by the British Columbian 
government, which means you people. Of the 161 trans-identified males in Wisconsin DOC prison, 81, 50%, have been convicted of at least one count of sexual assault or sexual abuse. According to a public record request, the oversight project received read the request and responses. And similar to the rate in UK. Yes, 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 yes. That's good. That's that is good stuff. I bookmarked them for our next show because I am pretty sure um, going to be some interesting facts. Boysversuswomen.com is the one that got it. Then we had a Texas judge follow the law. That pissed people off. Matthew Kaczynski, to grant relief to Texas college students who may be punished for hosting a drag show, he condemned drag as vulgar and lewd sexualized conduct that harms children is likely unprotected by the First Amendment. Kaczynski's conclusion that drag is probably not protected by First Amendment conflicts of decision for Texas, Florida, Tennessee, and Montana, which held the drag as constitutionally protected expression, and also expresses with the undisguised hostility towards LGBT people. Wow! His opinion is really something. Also, I wasn't familiar with the case. Apparently, this university president who has blocked the performance is questioned likened drag shows to performing in blackface. Chris Hayes. I can't believe he's a judge. Ian Milheiser. I feel generally awful for these students that they can't get their freak on. Yeah, no. It was for kids. It wasn't for the students. Philosopher questions on trans kids. What percent of children would you be okay with teachers transitioning per year if it meant that overall children would be literate in English? How many more children being literate are you willing to trade for one trans child? Set this question aside for a moment. Instead, consider mine. The percentage of virgins would you be okay pushing into volcano if that meant the overall crop yields would feel <laughs> God Damn, that was a hetero, I'm following him, sweet God in heaven. Uh, I need to, like, hold one. This is the greatest tweet ever. You win the internet for 2023 and probably... 2024. That's just fucking funny as shit because it's the same goddamn thing. Any way you cut this out, it is like some medieval bullshit you people fucking pull out. Just, what the fuck, man? What the fuck it fuck? So here we got a father getting beat down by Antifa. No, the media didn't cover it. Thank you. 
That would be front page news if it was the other way around. Is it me? Could it be me? I don't know. Is it me? Somebody tell me it's me. Man gets swarmed by Antifa and forcibly removed from public road. This was a man I was trying to record as he was getting attacked when Antifa attacked me for recording. Later, the man got brutally arrested. More to come. Tensions are higher in Toronto. Yeah. Yeah, that's nice. And then uh, we have uh, Tyson. Yeah, not the chicken. The stupid fucking scientist dude. Here he's trying to explain why men and women's sports is a good thing. I am Eloise. I am six. What the trans conversation is foisting upon us is the need to find ways to slice the athletic universe such that we still have interesting fair matches. And is it a combination of did you go through puberty um, uh, uh, as a male and then transition? Did you have puberty blockers? Um, what is your hormone level now uh, as you, if you want to compete? So it requires more creative thought. Rather than saying no to it all, Let's be creative about this as we were with wrestling, as we were, as we are with practically any other sport. In rowing, there's a heavyweight rowing and there's lightweight rowing. They don't compete against each other. Somebody came up with that to resolve the problem because more than one category of person wanted to compete. So I agree with you, it's an unsolved problem, yes, but it's not unsolvable given what we know about human physiology. So why not rise to that occasion and solve it rather than take your older view of the world and force modern emergent conduct of people to fit that? No, no, I don't give a fuck you got a PhD. No, there's a huge difference. The military tried your shit. It didn't work. Women could not do what men could do because it's all about actual biology, yo. Bone density, muscle mass. If women weren't getting fucking destroyed and injured, this wouldn't be an issue. But it is. Because there's already examples of lacrosse, fucking MMA. Jesus, broke a girl's face. Just broke the face. Then I went in a total rabbit hole. Jesus Christ. This is, uh, wow. I knew there were a lot. 11 must-read books for Celebrate Bisexuality Day. From Virginia Woolf's Orlando to Casey McQuizen's Red, White, and Royal Blue. So I went to the source for everything gay. And we now have the gay... I'm reading this because there's 49 fucking gay calendar entries. 49. So let's do it together. February, National Black HIV AIDS Awareness. Week after Valentine's Day, Aromatic Spectrum Awareness. People that get off and smelling shit. February, HIV is not a crime awareness. March, uh, February 28th, sorry. March, Bisexual Bisexual Health Awareness Month. So they get them, that's month one. We're gonna, that's the first month. There's like three, I think. 
Week varies in March, National LGBT Health Awareness Week. March 10th, National Women and Girls HIV Awareness Day. March 20th, National Native HIV. March 31st, International Transgender Day of Visibility. Which I just think we did another one, so let's we'll get to it. April, International Asexuality Day. April 10th, National Youth HIV Awareness Day. Third Friday of April, Day of Silence for dead gay people, I guess. I don't even know what that one's about. April 18th, National Transgender HIV Testing Day. April 18th, Non-Binary Parents Day. April 26th, Lesbian Visibility Day. May, first Sunday of May, is International Family Equality Day. May 17th, International Day Against Homophobia, Transphobia, Biphobia, and Phobiaphobia. May 19th, National Asian and Pacific Islander HIV Day. Harvey Milk Day on May 22nd. May 24th, Pansexual Panoramic Awareness and Visibility Day. June. That's second month. LGBTQ Pride Month. LGBTQ Family Day on the 1st. 12th Pulse Remembrance. 15th Anniversary of Bokstock Decision. June 26th Anniversary of U.S. Supreme Court Legalizing Marriage Equality. June 27th HIV Testing Day for everybody. Stonewall Day. Queer Youth of Fair Faith Day. July. Week of July 14th, Non-Binary Awareness Week, culminating in the National Non-Binaries People Day on July 14th, International Drag Day on the 16th, August, Gay Uncle Day, probably sexually molested people day is what it should be southern hiv aids awareness day on the 20th september national hiv aids and aging awareness day because that's old people days week of september 23rd bisexual awareness week that's like the fourth week so we're now saying we have three months september 27th national gay men hiv even though we covered it on our other shit. October's a big month. LGBTQ History Month, that's four fucking months just for gay people. International Lesbian Day, National Coming Out Day, National Latinx HIV Awareness Day, National LGBT Center Awareness Day, Third Wednesday, October's International Pronoun Day, Third Thursday is October, Spirit Day, Last Week in October, Asexual Awareness Week, so that's now we're up to four months and a week, Intersex Awareness Day, November, First Sunday, Transgender Parents Day, 13th to the 19th, Transgender Awareness Week, four and a half months. Uh, November 20th, Transgender, Transgender Day of Remembrance. December 1st, World AIDS Day. Uh, the 8th is Pansexual Panoramic Pride Day, which I thought we already had that, so they get a couple. And then HIV Cure Research Day on December 14th. So four and a half months, 49 different calendars. Three days for vets. Three. And I don't even know the third. I, I know there's Memorial Day. Armed Forces Day. Memorial Day. 
Veterans Day, and then we do have Gold Star Day. So that's actually four. Four days. That's it. Four and a half months and 49 days for gays. But they are so treated poorly. They are such a marginalized community. Those are the words the media says. And I didn't make that up. I got that from fucking GLAD. GLAD. Gay, lesbian, and a pain in our fucking ass. I, motherfucker, man. That shit is fucking crazy. So going to GLAD, I'm going to, I didn't get slides for this. Personal essay, actress, filmmaker Sarah Ann Mass are coming out as bisexual in her fight to clean up toxic Hollywood. Unregistered LGBTQ voters, we need you. States' right to read advocate and organize an organization drive effort to counteract book bans. SAG-AFTRA, gay people held them so that they'd sign a new contract. Not the fact that motherfuckers were sick of not having money. GLAD President CEO Sarah Kate Ellis to Mark Zuckerberg denounce the scourge of anti-trans. Who is Sarah Kate Ellis? Let's learn a little bit about Sarah K. Ellis. Sarah K. Ellis was born in 71 as an American media executive journalist and author. After Ellis graduated from Russell Sage College in 1993, the degree in sociology and minor in women's studies, she began her career in media through relaunch of Condé Nast House of Garden. In January 2014, Ellis was appointed president and CEO of GLAAD, the largest U.S. lesbian, gay, bisexual, transgender media advocacy. Ellis was born and raised in Staten Island, where she attended Staten Island Academy. She and her older brother, Spencer, were raised by her parents. During their youth, Ellis was an athlete. She participated in field hockey. Well, she's gay. And junior Olympic swimmer. While attending Russell Sage college, Ellis led a camp, media campaign against the college administration attempt to shut down the only women's center on campus and her senior of Ellis came out of his closet as a lesbian. In 2011, Ellis was selected to attend the Tuck Executive Education Program at Tuck School. Personal life. She's married. She has more power than any veteran there is. Hmm. Interesting. This is some bullshit from uh, San Francisco and the women's art exhibit featuring detransitioner portraits vandalized and not covered by the media because why would we? This was in a person's school, Denver Mamas. This is a picture my son sent me from his high his school. He is in 10th grade. The second picture is a patch the same teacher has on her bag. I'm pissed. How would other moms feel about this? Friday Circle, what's your biggest turn on? 
Anybody? I don't think that should be in school. Zaya Bryant's cousin launches GoFundMe to help BLM activist and Dove influencer who ruined white students' life to feel safe. That makes sense. It, it does. All right, California decided to uh, do more LGBTQ shit because they got pissed because he went back some LGBTQ shit. And yeah, that's, that's, that's where we are. So... Um, here is a father, once again, because I, I, I got to play one every time because we keep saying these are just homophobes and transphobes. Here's a father. This was uh, a parent, Lexican, Lex, Lexington 2, and the board tries to shut him down and ask him to stop reading because it's too graphic per SOP. So this is in Kentucky. I am Eloise. I am six. Red Hood, which is a book in airport in BC High School, has not been um, come a book before the board or any committee yet, has detailed graphic sex scenes between minors, and it's in our public schools right now. Let me give you an example of this. Do y'all want freedom for our kids to read this in high school? His pubic hair surrounding his erection is wet-tipped and urgent, and you stroke it with your fingers. Mr. Sires, Mr. Sires, I'm going to have to stop and ask that you don't read aloud, please. Let me bleep it out for you. And guide it, guide it towards your entrance of your bleep. Mr. Sires. Bleep, scary. There's other Mr. Sires, I would have to ask. Okay. Is that book not good enough? What about A Court of Mist and Fury by Sarah Mass? I wanted him, wanted every glorious inch of him in me. Reese shuddered, and I watched his bleep twitch. When I, ta- when I stopped caring, he nudged bleep into my interest and paused. Mr. Sires, do we think that that material is okay in our schools? Why do we want that freedom in our school district? Because these kids that are reading this, these books are 14, 15, 16, 17, 18 years old. They take those books home so their siblings can get a hold of that stuff as well. Do we find that appropriate in our school district? Do we? Because that is absurd to have explicit sexual material between minors to be read by minors in our school district. Like, what what kind of world are we living in today? So these are two of many books and many other books that have not been found yet that provide deeply disturbing sexual material. I never thought that I would see the day that our school district not only provides but promotes graphic, detailed scenes between minors and to be read by... To be read by. But it's book bans. That's what it is. It's just book bans. It's, it's not real. It's you. Teacher cuts girl hair without permission. I'm not going to go into the story, but this is what they think they can do now. And our last soundbite... Well, you know, I'm going to add it to This is America because it's motherfucking horrible... So we're going to have two This Is America sound bites. The first one is going to cover um, two abortion activists discuss creating an abortion fetish porn on OnlyFans. The next soundbite, Secretary Cardona openly dismisses thousands of American parents who have been speaking out of school board meetings. I don't have too much respect for people that are misbehaving in public and acting like they know the rights of kids. I'm going to accompany you with it, 
with a reply. The very first reply shows BLM. This is America. Don't catch you slipping now. Don't catch you slipping now. Look what I'm whipping now. This is America. Don't catch you slipping now. Don't catch you slipping now. Look what I'm whipping now. This is America. Between the two, having experienced both, I'm very much like, you know what? The surgical one was pretty big, girl. I did it without the anesthesia. Well, the local anesthesia. Mm -hmm. I didn't go under. Like, I stayed awake. I wanted the whole experience of it. I'm like, I want to look into your face when you're sucking that out of my body. It's fucking kind of hot. Why is that that? While I'm, like, up in freaking stirrups, and I'm just, like, (sighs) 21, and just, like, mmm. But your pussy looked really good where they pulled that dead baby out of it. Yeah, you know, they just, this could be a fetish. Wait a minute. Vacuum the whole thing out. Wait a minute. Only, Does abortion spa also have an OnlyFans? OnlyFans abortions to help women pay for their fucking abortions. If people are into that, there's a fetish for that, to watch bloody fucking guts come out of a pussy. Somebody is into that. Is this how we make abortions okay in capitalism? Is it is because like, then, we've got to find a way to not only, you know, the doctors are getting paid and it's safe and that, yes, 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 yes. But also... Let's feed it back to into the, the machine the and like get the com- OnlyFans going. OnlyFans yeah. paying the insurance companies. You know that there is somebody that would fucking come to watching a fucking dead baby come out of a The pussy. more I'm thinking about it, the more I'm really looking forward to Porn 30 today. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Well, we don't have any abortions. I'm so sorry. There's, we, we need to create an animated like fetish subgenre of like abortion porn. If you're thinking of it. There was civility. We could disagree. We could have healthy conversations. Um, around what's best for kids. I respect differences of opinion. I don't have too much respect for people that are misbehaving in public and then acting as if they know what's right for kids. Protests are continuing across the country. Let's get one thing straight. Bringing Molotov cocktails to public gatherings is not a peaceful protest. Democrats invited it. I, I, I just don't even know why there aren't uprisings all over the country. Maybe there will be. Democrats encouraged it. When they go low, we kick them. That's what this new Democratic Party is about. Get them in the face of some Congress people. You have released the whirlwind, and you will pay. So that's cool, right? That, that's all cool? Okay. That is people just getting caught up in the moment, you fucking racist. And here's another one getting in the moment. We covered these knuckleheads a while back. Five years ago, I co-founded the campaign to make Breitbart unprofitable. They lost 90% of their ad revenue in three months. Today, we're launching a campaign. Take on Fox. NPR.org. Namdi Jambi. Check my ads. I'm sorry. Group aiming to defund disinformation tries to drain Fox News online revenue. It was from June. Well, here's some... Reality, they went after Russell Brandt, got the British government to go after Russell Brandt. That's not good. Offers to buy sexual material. Claire Atkins solicited a teenager in public tweet asking they wanted sexual-themed reading material. Namdi Jammy, former of the Sleeping Giants, is engaged in advertisement deplatform blitz, including targeting the post-millennial. They're also going after um, the one I've been watching a lot. What the fuck is that? Uh, God, I suck at remembering. 
I don't remember shit. Uh, what the fuck is it? Hmm. Well, I, I removed it, looks like. I did. I removed this shit off my fucking phone. Um, where I watched the documentaries. Uh, anyway... But now Jamie runs Check My Ads with Clara Atkins. In doing so, she's assigned herself to some caliber of controversial activities. Teenagers, if you want to read a book that is banned in your school library because it features sexual gender identity as a prominent subject, DM me, and I will buy and order it to a safe location for you. So we're giving kids stuff around parents. Clara Atkins would turn me on this. This was her tweet. This is the first of many public blockings of Rumble, the YouTube of the alt-right. The moment advertiser realizes this platform is and who is on it, they will flee. Burger King, SS News, and HelloFresh are just the beginning. I see you don't learn from Budweiser. We don't care for the company's political views. They go against ours, and we're the consumer. Burger King is better than McDonald's. It takes me a long time to realize this, but they are, and it has nothing to do with Rumble. Although I agree, Rumble has more Nazis than Twitter, which is hard to do. Imagine this being this much of a loser. Fascist much? It's because Rumble is doing great. Dan Bondingo, who's a part-time owner or a part-owner of Rumble, because Google's actually just the shadow State Department was the answer by Mike Bentz. Why is Google colluding with two perverts, Claire Atkins and Andy Jammy, to censor people exposing child predators? Google leads Kate Kins the noodles, post-millennial. Well, it's pretty simple. They are doing it because whenever you get away from their bans, because now people are getting smart. They don't make sure you don't have a site that's hosted by Amazon, who quietly took over all internet hosting. And make your own fucking website. They're going to go after it because they're all fascists. Their sole purpose is to shut you down. That's what they want. They want all of us to fucking do what they say, say what they believe, believe all their edicts. And when you don't do that, they're going to go after you. They're going to ruin you because that's what they do. That's what they do. And it's fucking amazing. I mean, that Americans haven't woke up and said, okay, what are, what are we doing? Why do we support stuff like this? Listen, one of the best phones I've ever, 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 ever owned was a Pixel. But the wife and I actually, once again, we're unemployed, put our money where our mouth is and we got different phones and got rid of our Pixels. Because Pixels are a bunch of goddamn communists run by Google. We weren't going to have it anymore. We were going to go to a company that wasn't basically trying to elect presidents. Remember, I'm going to start every podcast going forward 
with what I'm going to end today, a snippet from the Google conference in 2016. It happened in 2020. It's going to happen in 2024. It's just going to happen. They're going to rig the election. It's what they do. So that wraps up the political portion of this podcast. I got to play a space portion because Oris Rex came back from space. Cyrus Rex, in seven-year mission to boldly go to the asteroid Bentley and back. amazing i hate google owns youtube which we watch a lot but i i literally watched it live i watched the platform or the the parachute deploy and then walk up to it i didn't get to see anything else because it's all getting sent back to houston it's in a, a dry room right now a clean room and the eight ounces of that asteroid will be an- analyzed and hopefully we'll avert armageddon in 150 nine years. So this wraps up another episode of Flyover Politic Podcast. Share with your family and friends. Go to SoundCloud Flyover Politic with a K. Rumble 482467. Email me at foppodcast.gmail.com. We started with Nazi worship because it's good Nazis. The new UN saying stuff Democrats do, which why, remember, Build Back Better came from the UN. That's Biden's Shit. 60 minutes going against the herd and telling us the truth. We're financing another country. Why? There's nobody out there finding out why. And while the left keeps pulling farther and farther to the left on law enforcement, we have a lot of dead officers because of it. And we're going to have a lot of dead Americans because we're letting Everybody coming through the southern border, they're not even being held accountable, even when the polls come and they see that's part of it. Oh, Biden, Obama, which is what I was about to say, because the same thing, he can say, boy, that's okay. Climate is out of fucking control and teachers are too. We're getting into the countdown 
to what we're, what we're going to do as a country. As I say to my wife every day, because she doesn't vote and she promised she would this election, everybody's got to vote. Is it going to matter? Probably not. Are they going to rig it? I got a strong feeling they are. But I'm going to vote regardless. I won't be voting for the Republican. I think Trump's an idiot. I don't think he's the right choice. I think if the Republicans were smart, they would just beg him, go the fuck away. Because I'm going to tell you right now, DeSantis, Scott, any of those are better for the country. And they're better candidates than Trump. He has too much goddamn baggage. You just don't need that guy. This is a shoo-in election. You have a geriatric dude that can't even fucking form a sentence with fucking two hands, a thesaurus, and a dictionary, and cue cards. He can't even come up with an original thought. He just can't. We have to get to the point that we have good candidates that are non-progs. Because the country is in a bad way. And just electing somebody, which is what we end up having to do, that isn't a Democrat, just is a shitty, shitty way. So, share your family, friends, disconnect from your devices, blah, blah, say it, everyone. Let's go with 30 September, last day in September, year of our Lord, 2023, for our next podcast. Until then, you take care, and thanks for listening. Anyway, on a more uh, serious note, you know, myself um, uh, as an immigrant and a refugee, um, I'm, I certainly find this election uh, deeply offensive, and I know many of you do too. Um, and and I think it's a very stressful time, uh, and it uh, conflicts with many of our values. Um, I think it's uh, it's a good time to reflect on that, and uh, you know we're gonna uh, hopefully uh, share some thoughts uh, today. Um, I guess you know there are two dominant um, you know reasons to be upset. One is because you know so many people uh, apparently don't share uh, many of the values that we have. Um, and I can go on. There, there is a lot of fear, and so I think I think it's important to reach out, be aware of that fear. Uh, I would be sensitive and try and talk and have conversations uh, to the extent possible. We are so deeply committed to our values. Uh, you know, Sergey mentioned uh, mentioned at the start, nothing will change. I think we'll stand up always for the values we uh, believe in, and especially I think in a society. You stand up for people uh, who are minorities, and that's what defines a society, and we'll continue to do that. And yet, we do think that history is on our side in a profound and an important way. That Martin Luther King made famous a, a line that the moral arc of history is long, but it bends toward justice. I would say that the moral arc of history is long, but it bends toward progress, and out of progress, comes rising living standards and better health care, and ultimately the ability to transcend those forces of tribalism, and yes, reach toward justice. So for 500 years, technology and trade has risen, have raised living standards around the world, and I think there's every sign that will continue to do that. That as we help that change come to pass, 
While it may be that the internet and globalization were part of the cause of this problem, we are also fundamentally an essential part of the solution to this problem. I mean, look, I think it's good. I think, uh, you know, it's, uh, Sergey said it, this is a, a deep issue, I think. Over time, as we, uh, you know, we are definitely in the role, it's our core mission uh, to help users discover information. There are many, many places where we are ranking, we are algorithmically doing stuff. You know, so over time, understanding some of the uh, things that are happening and course correcting, I think it's good, but you know, it's, it's a very, very difficult problem to, uh, to tackle. But I think. And audience question, yes. Yeah. So as a candidate, Donald Trump once said that he wished for the Russian government to hack the emails of his political opponent. And I know like, maybe he wasn't serious, and who knows what a Trump administration would actually do. It's probably best to wait and see before taking a drastic action. But in my opinion, one of the bravest things this company has ever done is our 2010 letter, A New Approach to China, where we took a very bold stance on the Chinese government attack, uh, hacking the emails of a group that they probably considered political opponents as well. So is there any potential line a Trump administration could cross where we would think about taking a similar approach towards the United States government? Uh, I mean, I, I think that line was crossed a long time ago for, by the US, you know, as we found out through the Snowden revelations. Um, I mean, they, they, I'd say we were pretty shocked by them. Um, I don't, we probably didn't have quite as profound blog posts, but I think, um, I think we definitely had a lot of statements to, uh, about that, and that really harmed uh, our, like, the U.S. standing in the world with respect to cyber espionage, and um, and harmed um, the ability, you know, for companies like ours to make arguments about the, you know, the problems of cyber espionage. Uh, uh, so there's a lot I love about this company, the values, the people, um, what we stand for. But one of the other amazing things about Google is its reach. You know, the products we make can overnight sometimes touch millions, billions of lives. But if you look, America's vast. I mean, it's 44 hours from Boston to San Diego by car, according to Google Maps. And <laughs> the world's a lot bigger than that. And um, people feel left out of, I think, the tech wave as much as they do about the policies of... Uh, the last administration, and I think that's what's led to a lot of the decisions you've seen. Google can, has so much they can do to educate and empower, to help people access information and tools to make them more informed citizens and more successful. Um, and as Kent said, all politics is local, so sometimes the, the answer is to really get boots on the ground. But when I think about what Google does best often, it's the high-scale, low-touch efforts. Um, and seeing how this election worked, it makes me think maybe the opposite is, is needed too, that high touch, low scale. So my question to you, my charge is, is Google willing to really invest in, in grassroots, super hyper local efforts to bring tools and services and understanding of Google products and knowledge to all these communities far flung around the US and the world so people can really be informed citizens and make the decisions that are really best for themselves and their countrymen? So Google's mission is to organize the world's information and make it useful. But during this election cycle, we've seen a lot of uh, misinformation, disinformation. We've seen a lot of fake news coming from fake news websites being shared by millions of low information voters on social media. And ultimately, there's been many, many people who've been voting, who've been acting based on completely made up uh, information. 
So can Google do anything to try to filter this out, to tr try to do something against uh, very organized, very intense uh, campaigns of disinformation targeted at, at low information people? Look, I, I think our investments in machine learning and AI is a big opportunity here. Uh, you know, there are work we have done. Uh, the Jigsaw team did around what they call conversation AI around, you know, to, to look at bullying and, you know, commenting. And so a lot of this is a problem of scale and not being able to keep up. So, like, human systems fail in many of these things. So I think, but, you know, investing more in machine learning and AI could be one way we actually make progress on some of this, uh, the mo uh, some of this stuff. Uh, but I think we should do more. And the problem with noting is also ties into cybersecurity because we saw a lot of cyber trolling, you know, by like nation states cyber trolling, uh, and basically Russia. Uh, <laughs> and uh, you know, we've seen it over time. I guess I don't know. It was never really taken all that seriously. But you know, all the comment boards, and everything, um, by these like faux trolls. So that, that's something else I. I think we ought to really focus on. Uh, audience question, yes. Uh, one of the main messages I've gotten from all of you today is that this election and others like it around the world are a hiccup in history's arc towards progress. But uh, what makes you so sure about that? I mean, is this a relatively new arc, or is this the same arc that has included two world wars? Since it's my metaphor, I'll take it up. Um, the, the, there are no guarantees, right? And there are, hiccup is a kind word. There, history is not a linear pattern. We do everything we can to keep it moving in a good direction. Uh, if you look over the broad reach of any 20, 50, 100 year period, there's less death, life, and life expectancy goes up. People are doing better and more prosperous. The arc does go like this exponentially in terms of standards of living around the world. Yes, it's not completely smooth. It goes up and down. And I think history teaches us that there are periods of populism, of, of nationalism, that rise up. And we, that's all the reason we need to be in the arena. That's why we have to work so hard to make sure it doesn't turn into a world war or something catastrophic, but instead is a blip, is a hiccup. But I, I would say echo um, Kent's last sentence because the reason I, I commented on Hillary's statement that we have to continue to believe that we, sh we can fight for that which we value and it's all of our obligation. We can't give up. We can't be complacent. We have to know what our values are and we have to fight for them and protect them and that's what we're committed to doing. Because I think if you just let arcs drift, who the hell knows which way they drift, excuse my language, but um, Whatever. Um, so, <laughs> so I think it is. It's incumbent on all of us, people who don't stand up and fight for those that Sundar said so beautifully in his opening comments, that bad stuff happens. So we have to fight for it, or it can end up going the wrong direction. That's what we're going to do. Thanks. Yes. Or sorry, I'll take one at each mic. Sorry, sir. Maybe. Uh, speaking yeah. to white men, there is an opportunity for you right now to understand your privilege in the society. Take the opportunity to go through the bias-busting training, read about privilege, read about the real history of oppression in our country, and tomorrow night, watch 13th, the movie that is here. If you can't watch it here, watch it on Netflix. Discuss the issues you are passionate about during Thanksgiving dinner, and don't back down and laugh it off when you hear the voice of oppression speak through metaphors, and I promise to do this. Every death is a tragedy, y'all. It's seven lives.